friends, new friends, any kind, whoever, welcome back to the latest edition of Amateur Hour. I'm your host, Jordan Perez, as always, but this week we're doing a little bit of a spin on the usual. If you've been with me since I started swinging studies last year before I joined the Fire Pit Collective, you know I loved bringing on college golfers to kick back and chat about themselves and just for some easygoing convo. I'm going to bring that old thing back today with my guest, Cannon Claycomb, a junior at Alabama who's had quite the year playing in tournaments like the Western Amateur and the U.S. Amateur. He'll go into more of the beginning of his season and his upcoming event, the inaugural SEC Match Play. Cannon's also a self-made entrepreneur thanks to NIL, which he gives us a little bit of an update on. His work with his annual charity tournament, the Mason Cup his distaste for clapping on planes, and so much more randomness. I love doing these kinds of chats. They were a blast, and I'm excited to kind of bring these back. So please let me know your thoughts on the format, and I won't hold you up any longer. So let's dive right into the talk with Canon. Okay. I know a little bit about what you were doing today, but can you tell everybody else what you were doing today and the rest of the Alabama men's golf team? Yeah, so we were out at our home course, um, Old Colony, here in Tuscaloosa. We were playing a qualifying round. Um, it was actually match play this week, which is a lot of fun. It's a good change of pace. Um, we're preparing for the SEC match play next week. So all of the qualifying this week is match play. And um, I did have to play against my best friend and roommate and teammate, Jack Goldisic, but did come out victorious, which is nice for me, but I hated doing it the entire time. So... Yeah, that's what I was doing today. Why did you hate play? <laughs> because like it sucks having to play against your teammate, especially in qualifying. Like stroke play is one thing where it's like if you play a good round or whatever, like you post 67 and like your teammate can shoot 71 and still like be in the top five. But like today, like I had to beat him one on one and it was just like awkward and I'm a people pleaser. And so like just having to like make him putt little putts and all that stuff. I hated it. <laughs> I hated it the entire time, but it was nice to play. It was fun to play and we had a good time. And yeah, we're, we're still friends after the match, which is good. Even though you beat him? Even though I beat him, I think, I think he's still going to be my friend. Can you give some insight into what like the qualifying atmosphere is like? Yeah. I mean, so like at least at Alabama, we play a lot of qualifying rounds. Um, we're going to do like match play this week and the winner of the match play gets automatically exempt into next event. And then we're going to do a stroke play qualifier the week after this. Um, same thing for the match play event um, next week, stroke play qualifying. But so that's two spots. And then um, like JPK finished top 10 in our last event, actually finished second. So he automatically gets into the next event. A top 10 does. So um, usually we'll do like the top four scores and then maybe like a coach's pick or um, sometimes it's just straight five scores. But I think that's pretty universal around the college golf scene. Um, you know, you want to take the five best players playing the best at that time. So, um, yeah, I think that's a pretty, pretty common qualifying schedule. Pretty sure the next event on your schedule was the Jerry Pate intercollegiate. How do you feel about it turning into SEC match play? I'm so happy. Um, I played in the Jerry Pate Intercollegiate last year and played awful. And we played at a golf course that I wasn't a huge fan of. A lot of people are. It's a great golf course in Birmingham. It was just really hard to walk. And uh, I just didn't play very good. So I think, um, you know, adding like a match play event, especially in the fall when, you know, we're just starting to 
start starting to get going i think it's great to like help us you know get kick started and you know kind of feel that team aspect um but like also like the big 10 and the big 12 i believe have match play events um so i'm not too surprised that we're finally doing one i'm actually kind of surprised it took this long to do a match play event but um yeah it's great and then like our sec tournament is obviously a match play event too after a stroke play so it'll be nice like some of the guys on the team haven't gotten to play that much match play and you know a tournament that matters in the fall is going to be a great way to get our guys ready for secs in the spring individually you bump shoulders with guys from different sec teams all the time but do you think like having a match play event is actually like a really good motivator to kind of like glue the team atmosphere because i feel like yeah i'm surprised too that it did take so long for there to be an sec match play event and it kind of like created some distance in the conference because there's not really you know you're not really bumping heads collectively until championships yeah no i think it does i think like we're friends like with a bunch of the guys on different teams but at the same time like i hate auburn and i hate lsu like i hate them so much just not the people on the team but like whether it's football basketball golf like being an alabama fan like i want to beat those two teams so much and like I think it's finally nice to like have a one-on-one head-to-head where it's, you know, you're not competing for the SEC championship, but you are competing for the SEC, you know, match play and it does count and it matters. And I think, you know, the SEC is, in my opinion, the best, best conference in golf. Um, I think it's going to be harder almost to win the SEC championship than the national championship when Texas and Oklahoma join. Um, So that's a pretty, pretty cool thing to have, like, you know, in your back pocket is if you can win the SEC championship, you can easily win the national championship. And um, I think, you know, this event is going to be great for all the teams in the SEC going forward. But um, it's, yeah, I mean, it's a lot different than stroke play because, like, it's one-on-one, you know, that you can't run and hide. You can't have a teammate, you know, fall behind and lose their match right out of the gates or whatever it is. But, yeah, I think it's going to be great. And I'm excited for it this year and for the coming years for sure. Let's talk about your start individually. You posted some good rounds in Maui Gym and at Olympia Fields. How are you feeling about those two tournaments and how your game's been? Yeah, I feel really good, actually. Uh, the Maui Gym was a bit of a struggle the first two days. Um, I was hitting a nine iron, like 190 yards out there, which like I usually hit it like 150 yards. So we got out there early and did prep, and I probably just didn't do enough prep, but it was a little weird. And then by the final day, you know, I – felt pretty comfortable with what I was doing and was able to shoot a 64 to, you know, post a good round for my team, which was nice. And then I I felt like I played really well at Olympia Fields. I thought that place um, kind of set up more towards my game. The Maui gym was kind of a shootout, I think, like 18 or 19 under one individually. Um, and I'm probably just like, that's not my, that's not my type of game. I'm never going to go out and shoot like 20 under, like, unless I'm just, blackout and can't see anything like that's not what I like to do but um like my first round for example at Olympia Fields I shot one under I was like tied for third I believe and like that was just a solid round of golf that I had a great game plan for and the rest of the week I think I ended up finishing like T17 but um yeah I felt like I had a really good game plan and um you know whether you're hitting the ball like good or bad or putting it if you have a solid game plan at a place like olympia fields you can you can get it around and that was kind of evident for me 
Let's go into the piss missile a little bit and cover it for those who don't know. It is your podcast with your teammate Sims, and that you that you do semi occasionally. Um, kind of go over what made you pick up the podcast mic and start talking about golf and sometimes airports. Yeah. Um. So, like, I mean, with COVID happening so abruptly, like. It happened right in the middle of our season, which a lot of people don't remember. Like we were to uh, we were going to leave for our third event of the spring, like the day before we got sent home for COVID. And that team that year was we were really trending in the right direction. I just came in January um, and I felt like I was very close with all the guys on that team. And I lived with Sims at the time. Um, we were very close. We still are very close, but. I was just like, I didn't know what to do with myself at home and like the golf courses were closed and everybody was panicking with like a global pandemic going on. So I was just kind of sitting at home one night and like, I was a big podcast guy anyway. I love listening to podcasts. Um, and I found this app on my phone, like I downloaded it and it was super easy to download and edit a podcast. And I called Sims. I was like, Hey dude, like, do you want to just like talk? and we'll record it and post it like I miss like talking to you so like we'll just do this and post it for other people's enjoyment and uh yeah we ended up calling it the piss muscle podcast I think Sims named it actually so shout out to Sims on that one it's a great name we probably need to get it trademarked um but yeah we do it um you know whenever we can I was talking earlier with you but like we have such a busy schedule it's hard to do it like bi-weekly or weekly um but, I mean, we do like to do it, and I think we'll probably start posting a little more when we have some time off here in the coming weeks. But, yeah, I mean, we talk about, like you said, airports and golf and um, Mount Rushmore's and anything we can think of. Um, I know his one of his Mount Rushmore's was uh, top five PGA Tour events he would love to win, and his number one was Sanderson Farms, which is this week. So keep an eye <laughs> on that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we love to talk about anything we can. So I thought of this question while I was listening to, I don't know if it was the most recent one or the one of the few recent ones. Um, I think you were talking about how you hated how people would give an applause after the flight lands. Yeah, um, it's my biggest pet peeve. I got I to gotta pose a question in relation to this pet peeve. You can play your dream course, like number one bucket list course, and you'll tell me what that is shortly, but only if you listen to people give a round of applause after every flight for the rest of your life for 10 minutes would you do it no absolutely not absolutely not i would probably play, what is your dream course um i don't know i mean like i think my favorite course of all time is royal melbourne um but i've been able to play it before but like oh. i think like I don't really have a dream course i guess like that is my dream course like i just want to play there for the rest of my life if that makes sense like but no, to answer your question, I would not play my dream course if I had to listen to people clap after planes. It's one thing if like the flight is bumpy and like I can understand why people are stressed, but like those people that are just like flying and then we land and it's so normal and then they clap and like think it's like cool or funny. Like I, it drives me up a wall. I probably sound so ignorant right now. Like, what do you, okay, but like it. while this happened, what are you doing while this is happening? Are you like rolling your eyes? Are you growing? Like, what is the reaction in real time when you hear a round of applause after a flight? No, nah, I mean, I like, I just sit there and like, <laughs> like a normal person would like, you just sit and like wait to like taxi to your <laughs> gate. Like, I don't know, like, a, I don't know. Yeah, it's tough. 
it's tough. I probably sound so bad right now, but like, um, yeah, just like, I mean, I think the pilot, when I like get off the plane, I'll be like, yo, thanks for like getting us here. But like, it's his job. It's like what he, he does for a living. So it's like, I don't know. I just think like people clapping. And then when you like land and people in the back of the plane stand up first, like that's my other thing that just like drives me crazy. Nope. Nope. Can't do it. No, there's, there's, there's an order for a reason. Please let's just all follow it and we'll all get off faster. It's the worst. And then like the excuse where they say, um, I have a connecting flight. It's like, dude, like 60 of the hundred people on this flight have a connecting flight. Like just wait. Yeah. Just wait. So let's talk a little bit about NIL. I know you were one of the people I spoke to in diving into NIL and the relationship with college golf. Um, and it's something that you've been pretty heavily involved with. You're I, like, so to speak, I think you've been like one of the biggest presences with it, which is so cool. I feel like it's a it's a new skill set and a new kind of territory that you've exposed yourself to. Um, talk a little bit about like, I think you were working with Ramajama, which is local in Tuscaloosa, and then you announced that you were working with Swing You. Um, talk about, I guess, just to give people like a like a little bit of a walkthrough, have about how what leads you to those deals, and you know what makes you say yes or makes you say no. Yeah, I mean, like um, the Swing You deal is a very popular deal. Um, along like among college golfers i've seen it a lot um they actually just reached out to me over instagram um they dm me and sent me their email address and then i kind of just emailed them back asking to see like a model for what they were wanting um and like most of these nil deals are just like one hard post and like two stories a month so that's like usually on instagram because that's my biggest following and like it's just so easy for me because like i don't care I'm not one of those people that like cares how many pictures they have on Instagram. Like if anybody has Visco, like I love Visco because I can just post as many pictures as I want. And like, I love taking pictures. So like, it's super easy for me and like whatever the money or like, I'm not making like millions of dollars. Like it's not for that. It's mainly just for me to be able to like kind of learn how to, look at contracts and see what they look like and understand if they're good or not good for me. And it's been really fun learning. And then like with Ram and Jam is here in Tuscaloosa, like um, same thing, like with the hard post and the stories, but just being able to like go in there and be like a Ram and Jam as athlete and like get to eat and like talk to people that like go there every day. Cause it's like a small diner right in front of the stadium. Like it's super historic. It's been on ESPN a bunch of times. Like, you go in there, sit down, there's just Alabama sports memorabilia everywhere. And you just kind of like get to sit there and eat and like talk. And I think it's just really cool. And like without NIL, like we wouldn't have been able to do any of this stuff. So um, I am like super excited about the future of the NIL stuff. And with golf, I think it's completely different from football. Um, I know it's completely different from football because we park in the same dining facility parking lot. But um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's fun. Like, it gives us golfers, like, an outlet to at least do something that we want to try to do. And, yeah, I think it's pretty easy for myself, and I like doing it. So you've been taking pointers from Bryce Young is what you're getting out. Yeah, I would need to find Bryce Young's agent and get that same deal Bryce Young has. <laughs> so can you basically post up in a Ramajama and, like, 
go in whenever you want and eat there how do, like how does that work yeah i mean like um the owner of Ramajamas is actually a huge golf fan his dad is in the like new york or new jersey section pga hall of fame so he's like a huge golf guy loves golf and um i'll just text him and be like hey man like is the store busy right now or like <laughs> what's the deal and he'll be like yeah or no and Sometimes it'll be like, yeah, we have a table like just waiting for you or if they're too busy, I just like we'll go at a later time. But yeah, I mean, like it's pretty, pretty easy. And um, Ramajamas is awesome. I love going there. And yeah, they do a lot of stuff with the football players as well. And I've been able to meet some of the football players and become friends with them like through that whole deal. And um, their football players are all offensive linemen. So just a bunch of big boys sitting in Ramajamas and we're just kind of doing our thing but yeah I mean it's pretty pretty good and yeah pretty easy what's the best meal there I love getting their uh double cheeseburger and they have great corn dogs like unreal corn dogs and I love corn dogs see I'm not a big corn dog person because I remember being like in elementary school and being served corn dogs and being kind of traumatized because I remember the meat would look kind of gray so since then I've not touched a corn dog but maybe I'll have to now yeah I mean like I grew up in Kentucky and like Sonic was a big thing like as a drive-through establishment like I always loved their corn dogs and I think they just kind of got me hooked on corn dogs so yeah Ramajan's corn dogs to die for so is that is that like your late night eat like a Sonic corn dog? Um, I try not to go very much anymore. Um, it's terrible for you, but um, I would say yeah. Like if I want to like have a off day eating wise, I'd definitely go to Sonic, kind of splurge for an hour or two. But yeah, uh, I love Sonic. I'll boldly confess to um, to make you feel a little bit better. I made a one a.m. run to Sonic on Saturday and had I had a blue powerade not a slushy I should have had a slushy looking back and the popcorn chicken and it it saved me it was like heaven sent because everything was closed around me but Sonic was clutch Sonic the blue powerade slushy is like unreal yes that yeah. was my childhood go-to and I haven't had one in years and I need to I had the standard blue powerade and it's good, but it like, yeah, not the same. It's yeah, that ice. It's that ice. It is the ice. The ice is so good. Immaculate. Yes. Yeah, so good. Let's talk about the Mason Cup. I know that's a cause that's really important to you, that you founded a few years ago um, in response to Mason Goodnight and your relationship and kind of just for the community back home in general. Can you talk to listeners about what, what's inspired you to keep that up all these years and the format and just some background on the Mason Cup. Yeah. So, um, we're good friends with the Goodnight family back in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Um, Mason Goodnight was their son. He got viral meningitis when he was 11, passed away pretty suddenly. Um, and then like I, our family, myself, I have a little brother that was, I think he was 13 at the time Mason passed away, maybe 12 and a half, but, they were very close in age. Cooper, my little brother, played baseball with Mason. Um, I went to school with Mason's uh, sister, Maggie. So we were close. And um, yeah, his passing was just terrible. I mean, like the community as a whole really gathered around the Goodnight family. And um, Mason's dad, Jeff, was a, he, I mean, he's a great community service leader. He 
he runs the boys and girls club of Franklin Simpson, which is the closest boys and girls club we have to Bowling Green. Um, so he's just a servant leader. And um, I think anytime like a person or a community loses, you know, a child, it's so much worse than anything else that's going on at the time. So um, for that to happen to a family that we were close to, um, it, I mean, it really shook us all, not just, you know, our family, but everyone. And um, I was actually going to the President's Cup. Um, and this is just like one of the stories like that kind of shapes like how the Mason Cup is and what it's all about. But um, we had I'd called him on the way to the Mason Cup probably on a Thursday. We had decided that the tournament was going to happen on a Friday or Saturday. And by Sunday, the entire team of Junior President's Cup team of America, like, all of my teammates for that week were wearing, you know, Mason Goodnight bracelets. Um, oh, wow. We were taking pictures with like signs that said like Mason Goodnight number 11. Um, so like, I mean, the story just really captured like everybody that heard it because it's a, it's a story, it's a sad story, but um, it turns out that, you know, some sad stories have great endings and um, the Mason Goodnight Foundation and the Mason Cup were, were really started as a community goal to, be able to get people out to Old Stone, which is my home club back in Bowling Green. It's a great spot um, with great people and a, a great owner. But um, it was really just to, to have a weekend full of golf and um, fun and remembrance. Um, and we wanted to raise money, you know, for the Boys and Girls Club and the Mason Goodnight Foundation. But over the years, it's really turned into a worldwide event. I mean, you know, it's hard for tournaments to say that, but we have had people come from you know, countries outside of America to play in our little small town Bowling Green, Kentucky event. And um, yeah, it's been crazy. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the, the gist of it so far. And it's an event that's raised hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? Yeah. So we started out, um, huge shout out to the AJGA. You know, like when I was growing up, I played a bunch of AJGA. I was very familiar with, you know, a lot of the people inside there. And um so we did a partnership with them and the Ace Grant Foundation, which um, is kind of the same idea that we wanted to do working with underprivileged children, um, golfers mainly that wanted to travel and play junior golf. Um, so we didn't have an entry fee for the event. Um, we were never going to make the kids pay that wanted to come play, but we did ask them to try and raise $1,000 um, and that would be their entry fee. And we've never had in four years, we've never had a player not raise a thousand dollars for the event. So wow. um, that's been awesome. And then, um, I mean, the community would do a, we do a Friday scramble format with like, I think it's 16 or 18 teams. Every team gets a junior. Um, and then there's a par three course and a putting course that we do as well for um, kind of raffle stuff. And um, we kind of just fundraise throughout the whole year. It doesn't really stop. Um, you know, we have kind of a whole team devoted to doing it. And um, yeah, we've raised over $100,000 each year we've done it. Um, half of it goes to uh, the ACE grant, half of it goes to the Mason Goodnight Foundation. But um, it's been amazing. Like when when I tried to start this you know, five, almost five years ago, I would have never guessed that it would be doing the things that it's doing now. And um, even in that first year, like the amount of support that we got, and I think the tournament was from the time I thought of it and talked to Jeff about it to the time we had the event was like five months, which like securing the golf course, getting play 32 players from all across the country, like 
raising the money it was insane that we were able to do that and since then we've just grown on it and tried to make it better and um, I think if you ask anybody that's played in it they'll say it's one of their favorite events of the year that's massive that I mean that's just an incredible impact to have in general and you know such a generous thing to do for not only for the foundation but the community around you so that's it's that's such an awesome thing that you continue to be involved in and keep on with so that's great I want to go into some of Fiona the Hippo. You are a very big fan of Fiona the Hippo, um, as evidenced by your Twitter account. Um, when did Fiona capture your heart, and have you been to the Cincinnati Zoo? So I haven't been to the Cincinnati Zoo. Um, it is on my bucket list as of now. Um, probably next summer I'm going to make an immediate trip sometime. To the Cincinnati Zoo. Um, they actually just got a new hippo. His name's BB. He got introduced into the pod today. So that was a big day for us, us here at Fiona fans. Uh, but Fiona captured my heart probably six months ago. Um, back when it started to get warm at the start of summer, um, I bought an inflatable pool. We have a little desk or a little, uh, not a desk, uh, porch here in our house in Tuscaloosa. And it was a really nice day. And I was like, I want to sit outside in a pool. And so I bought an inflatable pool and I couldn't like lay in it, but I had to lay like with my nose, you know, a little below the water, kind of flat on my belly. And someone was like, dude, you look like a hippo. And I was like, is that an insult? And they're like, no, like that's how hippos like lay. And so I kind of started digging around. Like I didn't know much about hippos. And I saw this one hippo, Fiona, at Cincinnati Zoo on Instagram. And I was like, dude, that's the coolest animal I've ever seen. And uh, just from then, like made sure to follow the Cincinnati Zoo immediately. And then they post great pictures. So I just reposted it. And it's kind of like, it's a bit of, it's a little bit of a bit. Like it's a, like, it's a bit. But at the same time, I do love Fiona the hippo. So like, I'm in too deep to back out now. You have to document the day you and Fiona meet. Like, this, there's no backing out. It'll be a monumental day when me and Fiona meet. Yes. I'm so yes. excited. Yes. Fiona, Fiona is adorable. Fiona has captured everyone's hearts nationwide. But I know especially you were probably the biggest Fiona the Hippo stand that I can think of. Yeah. It's gotten wild. Like, even our sports SID, like, our social media director, like, if I make, like, birdies or whatever and he posts it on like Instagram or whatever. He'll put like hippos instead of like bird like birdie emojis. Beautiful. So like it's awesome. I love it. Love Shout it. out to another hippo. <laughs> and finally to kind of wrap it up, I want to get your take on the biggest event of the week, which is Bama versus Ole Miss. Two Heisman contenders. It's gonna be could there be an upset? Are we thinking yes? Are we thinking no? How do we feel about Bama. I think everybody here in Tuscaloosa is very scared for the, not scared, but we are nervous for this upcoming game. Um, Ole Miss is a very good team. Lane Kiffin is a great coach. He knows all of our offensive plays. Um, and a game last year where we won the national championship, they almost beat us in Ole Miss. Um, luckily, we scored like 150 points in that game. So, um, I think it's going to be a shootout. Our defense hasn't been great the first three weeks. That's a little scary. Um, but I do think Bryce Young is very good, and our wide receiver core is pretty solid as well. So um, I think if this game was not at Bryant-Denny Stadium, we would all be a lot more nervous than we are. But 
yeah, I think we could 100% lose. I hope we don't. Um, but I think that's a, a great, a, a very real possibility. Miss has really popped off, but I think like out of all the sneaky good in the entire SEC, I think it's been Arkansas for me that has thrown me for a loop. Yeah. No, and I, I love Arkansas doing great. I think it's awesome for the SEC. Like, it sucks when we have to go play Vandy and we score like 120 points in the game. And it's like, why did we even like have to go here? <laughs> or we go to Missouri. Like, last year we played Missouri and one of our receivers like almost got hurt falling on their track. Like, their track field is around their football field. Like, what are we doing? Like, what are we yeah. doing? <laughs> you know what I'm I mean, it's 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 fine to have a cupcake here and there, especially in the conference. You know, it's it's the good it's the good a little it's the reminder that you need to know that you're on top. For sure, yeah. But Arkansas looks really good. We do play them. I think our last game of the season. Um, so hopefully we get past Ole Miss this week. I think we will. Um, like I said, I think Bryce Young is very good, and uh, I think we're going to be able to outscore him. I don't know if we're going to stop him, but I think we can outscore him. Yes, yes. I think I'm thinking Bama too. I don't. I don't like to not bet. I'm I don't bet, but if I did, I would never bet against Bama. I, I wanted to in my heart of hearts when they play Florida, but I knew deep down. I was like, hmm. And I didn't think it would be that close. That was very close. It was very close. And very, you know, I, I, I'll probably get a little emotionally invested there in Florida football, so we won't go too deep into it. But <laughs> you know, just just know we we were almost there. It, were, it would have humbled it you. Scary game. It was a very scary game. <laughs> okay, Cannon. Thank you so much for coming on and for chatting all the randomness, your season, just everything. This was a lot of fun, and I hope to have you back for another chat soon. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks again to Cannon for joining the pod. If you want to check out his Twitter and Instagram, they'll be linked in the description so you can easily access them. If you want to catch me on Twitter, my username is at J-R-D-N-P-R-Z. I talk a lot of amateur golf. I talk a lot of college golf. And I also like to have a lot of fun on there. So catch me on Twitter. Catch me on another episode of Amateur Hour. Thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate everybody's support. And yeah, see you guys later.